0: All right, turn in your Bible, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. This is the story of the Passover. God's people were slaves in Egypt. God sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell him to let his people go. Pharaoh refused. God sent a series of plagues. And at this point in the story, nine of them have already happened. But Pharaoh still refused to let them go. The Lord warned Pharaoh and the Egyptians that the tenth and final plague would be the death of the firstborn. And the Lord gave these instructions to his people. So Exodus 12, and I'm starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. "...tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats." You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So each household was to take an unblemished lamb and set it aside on the 10th day of the month, and then on the 14th day they were all to kill their lambs at twilight. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So God gives the Israelites instructions here about eating the meal. This is the Passover meal. It's commemorating the event. And God comes in judgment on Egypt. And the firstborn in every home is going to die as a representative of everyone else in the home. Because God's judgment is falling on the whole land. But when God comes to the houses where the blood has been applied on the doorposts and the lintel, he's going to pass over those homes because judgment has already fallen on the lamb. So the lamb has died in the place of the firstborn. So God says the blood is a sign, but notice it's a sign both for the people and for God. When he sees it, He'll pass over, okay, picking it up in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what's leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread, until the 21st day of the month at evening for 7 days no leaven is to be found in your houses if anyone eats what is leavened that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land you shall eat nothing leavened in all your place, dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread so god tells the israelites that each year this day is to be a memorial a feast to the lord and As we went through Leviticus, we talked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and here we see the instructions for that feast leading up to the Passover. But the Passover itself is called a memorial, and it's a feast to the Lord. All right, let's finish this section then, verse 21 down to 28. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So Moses passes on these instructions to all the elders of Israel, the heads of the households. And this is supposed to become an annual rite that they keep, even once they're settled in the land that God's going to give them. And it's supposed to be a teaching moment. When the children say, what do you mean by this service? In other words, why are we doing this? The fathers are to tell them about the Passover event. And even hundreds of years later, the answer that they're supposed to give is, he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. A thousand years after this event, as the children ask the question, and the fathers give the answer, it's their story. Our houses. And if we were to continue reading the rest of the chapter, we would see that the whole event unfolds just as God had said. Let me give you just a couple of observations first of all about God as we think about this particular event. And the first one has to do with God's wrath. In this story we see the reality of God's wrath. <clears throat> Pharaoh and the Egyptians have enslaved the Israelites. Pharaoh has refused to obey the Lord. So God's wrath rightly rests on Pharaoh and the land of Egypt. Sin is serious. And that wrath is still a reality today. It's not just something that happened in Bible times. It's it's not just in the Old Testament. It's part of the unchanging character of God. God's wrath is the expression of his holiness. It's his righteous anger against sin. In the story, we also see God's deliverance. God rescues his people. He provides a way of escape for them. Whenever God's judgment falls, there's also his mercy. Even at the final judgment, when those who have rejected God are condemned to hell for their disobedience, there will also be God's people who are delivered by his mercy and his grace to live in his presence. As you read scripture, Always remember that Jesus is central to the story. Sometimes there are direct prophecies about Jesus. Sometimes there are signs and symbols that point to him. Sometimes we're seeing in the character of the people involved things that reflect Jesus' character or things that display our need of him or that show dilemmas that are ultimately only solved by the work of Jesus. But in some way, Jesus is always central to the story. And here in the Passover, we have very direct and obvious symbols that point forward to how Jesus, by his shed blood, will take God's wrath for his people, delivering them in his mercy and in his grace. The Passover meal was to be a reminder So we have God's wrath and God's deliverance, but we also have God's reminder here. It's a memorial. We need to recognize that it was to remind the Israelites of this great act of deliverance. When your children ask, tell them the story. Do this each year. Reenact the Passover event by eating this meal together. But it was also a memorial for God. Exodus 12:14 calls it a memorial but it's also it's directed to God it's a feast to the Lord and the Lord says when I see it I will remember. When we looked at Leviticus 2 One of the things that we saw were offerings that were a memorial portion for the Lord. So, for example, Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 2, the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And there's other verses that indicate the same thing. When the sacrifices were made, then, the blood was not just shed by the priests, it was also displayed it was thrown on the altar, because it's a memorial. And the idea actually becomes very clear, I think, if you look at Genesis chapter 9. So turn there with me, Genesis chapter 9. This is the story of Noah and the flood. Because of the wickedness of men on the earth, the Lord caused a great flood to cover the whole earth, killing everyone except Noah and his family, who were protected by God in the ark. Then when it's all over, God made a covenant with Noah and promised that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. So let's read Genesis 9, and I'm going to start in verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember The everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So the rainbow is the sign of the covenant. And God says when the bow is in the clouds, he will remember his covenant. Now that doesn't mean that God has a bad memory and he needs a reminder but he's describing what he's going to do in terms that we can understand as humans. He's saying, when I look at that rainbow, it will call to mind, so to speak, the promise that I have made, and I will act faithfully to the promise that I've given you. That's what it means that he says he'll remember. So who does the memorial remind about the covenant? It reminds God. Now it also reminds people. It's a teaching moment. But when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, God says, and remember the everlasting covenant. And the rainbow is not just formed, it's displayed in the clouds, just like the blood of the sacrifice is displayed by being thrown against the altar. And the Passover meal is a memorial, just like the memorial offering was for the Lord, just like the rainbow, the sign of the covenant is a reminder for the Lord, the Passover meal is a memorial meal. It's a reminder to the Lord of his promise to pass over when the judgment falls. And the blood of the lamb is not just shed, it's displayed. It's on the doorposts and the lintel of the house. And for those who believed in God, who took him at his word, who had the lamb die in their place, who placed the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, The meal is a reminder to the Lord that his judgment would be taken by a substitute, the lamb. And the people would, in mercy, be spared. So the Passover meal was a sign or a symbol. It's a memorial of God's deliverance in Egypt. And we do the same thing today. We have signs and symbols that we use, you know, when you... See, the American flag, it's supposed to call certain things to mind. The colors have meaning. The stars have meaning. We just had July 4th. Why do we do fireworks? The rocket's red glare. The bombs bursting in air. It's supposed to call to mind the significance of what our country's founding is. But the Passover meal, like every other example of deliverance, points forward to Jesus. And so I want to take a look this morning at how Jesus fulfills this picture. At the last week of Jesus' ministry, before his death, he arrives in Jerusalem on, we call it Palm Sunday, but it's Lamb Selection Day. It's the 10th day of the month. And so here's the city of Jerusalem as it looked in Jesus' day, a reconstruction of it. And here on the eastern side was the Kidron Valley. And so Jesus would have ridden across the valley and into the city. You can see the temple area up here. The temple mount takes up almost a fourth of the city. It dominates everything in the picture there. But the same day that the Passover lambs were selected and set aside to be slaughtered, as Exodus 12 described, is the same day that Jesus comes. He arrives in the city of of Jerusalem. And then on the 13th day, Wednesday, Jesus and his disciples gathered for the Last Supper. It's a Passover meal. Now, we don't know the details. For instance, why did Jesus and the disciples celebrate it on the 13th? Well, practically speaking, Jesus' death is going to come. And if he's going to celebrate it, he's going to have to do it a little bit early. Some suggest that maybe at this meal there was no lamb because Jesus, the Lamb of God, was present Others say, in order to accommodate the crowds, some people prepared and ate the meal a day early. Don't really know the details. But theologically, it's fitting that the meal is on Wednesday evening because Jesus was going to die on the afternoon of the 14th, the same time that the Passover lambs were being killed in preparation for the Passover meal on the evening of Thursday. Just like the Passover lamb, was killed as a substitute for the firstborn in each household. Jesus was going to die as a substitute for all those that he represents, all who are part of the household of faith. I want to draw your attention as you look at this image to the temple area and particularly to the southwest corner of the temple. This overlooks the entire city of Jerusalem. That's that corner of the temple today and you can see maybe just down at the bottom left there the people to give you a little perspective of the size and um, right in the middle here you have some stones sticking out that's the beginning of an arch that was there in jesus day so a reconstruction of it looks something like this you can see that arch coming out and here's that southwest corner now the upper part of it seems to be gone but This is a reconstruction kind of based on what we do know from history of what it might have looked like. This corner piece here, you can see this is kind of an upper corner, was the southwest corner, the upper corner of the temple. This was uncovered not too many years ago in some excavations at the base of the wall there. And if you look at this piece of stone right here, you can see that there's some writing on it. And as I zoom in on that, you can see that Hebrew writing there, and it says, for the place of the blowing of the, and we would fill in the blank with the shofar, the trumpet, knowing from the temple practice of what happened. So that place right there is up in this corner overlooking the city. The priests would blow the trumpet from that corner of the temple twice a day, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., time of the morning sacrifice and the time of the evening sacrifice. And the reason for that is everyone in the city would hear the trumpet blast and they would know what's happening in the temple at that moment. There's a sacrifice being made for me right now because the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice were made on behalf of the nation. And so at that trumpet blast, they knew, everyone kind of probably paused in the middle of what they're doing and they recognize there's a sacrifice taking place for our nation right now. Now, Josephus is a Jewish historian and he suggests this is the temple courtyard by the way and on at the time of the Passover, there's so many lambs that needed to be slaughtered that the sacrifices didn't just happen by the altar, they spread out throughout the courtyard. Josephus says in the years following Jesus, one year, he gives an estimate of 256,000 lambs slaughtered at Passover. Now, some people think his numbers are off, that they might be exaggerated. Some historians accept his numbers. Regardless, it's a lot. It's many, many lambs. It's lambs representing all the people all over the nation because people travel to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. This particular picture now, we are looking, we're, we're on the west side of the city looking back to the east. So we're looking at the back side of the temple. And so this corner out here is the corner that we've been saying is where that trumpet blast happens. And the rest of the city is out this direction. But the reason I show you this, this is, to the best of our knowledge, the location of where Jesus was crucified. now. This picture has crosses at the top of a hill. I think that's unlikely. That was not Roman practice. Roman practice was that you crucified someone right along the street because you wanted people to encounter the crucified individual up close and personal because it's a deterrent. This is what happens to people who oppose the power of Rome. and They wanted the horrific nature of crucifixion to be burned in the minds of all the people. So they didn't want it at a distance. They wanted it right up close and personal. So if anything, it was probably maybe at the base of this hill. And there was a road that would run by right there. But the location is helpful for us to see for this reason. As Jesus is being crucified here, scripture tells us that he was crucified at the time of the morning sacrifice, 9 a.m. So picture it a priest steps up and blows the trumpet to indicate that now a sacrifice is about to be made on behalf of all of the people. And it's at that moment that Jesus is put on the cross. Jesus hangs on the cross for six hours. He's taken down at 3 p.m. at the time of the evening sacrifice. So, For those six hours, as Jesus hangs on the cross, behind him in the temple courtyard, what's happening? Thousands and thousands and thousands of Passover lambs are being sacrificed. And then at 3 p.m., the priest comes back up to the corner, blows the trumpet blast. All the Passover lamb sacrifices are done. And once again, there is a sacrifice being made on behalf of the nation. And it's at that moment that Jesus says, it is finished. And he dies. Paul tells the Corinthians that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. He's the lamb who dies in the place of his people. When God sees the blood of Jesus applied to the lives of his people, he passes over. He withholds judgment from them because Jesus has already taken that judgment on himself. The meal that we celebrate together as a church, the Lord's Supper, is in a sense a fulfillment of the Passover meal. Jesus gave this meal to his followers in the context of a Passover meal. As they celebrated the Passover together, he gave them bread and he told them, do this. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and likewise with the wine, which pictures his shed blood. And there's two points that I wanna make this morning as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. First, this is a memorial meal. As we've seen, memorials have the function of causing us to remember, creating a teaching moment. Your kids ask, why are we doing this? And you explain the story. That's what I've been attempting to do this morning. This is our story This is what God has done. And so this morning, we're taking time to remember. To look back at what God did at the Passover. And to remember what God did in Christ through his death for our sins. A memorial is also, though, directed toward God. A memorial offering was given to God. The rainbow was a memorial to cause God to remember his covenant. And this meal that we celebrate is a memorial. It's a reminder to God of his covenant promises to us. Jesus has, by his blood, inaugurated, begun a new covenant. We, by faith, are part of that covenant. We, by faith, are represented by Jesus. We, by faith, no longer face God's judgment because Jesus, our Passover lamb, has taken that judgment for us. So, our eating the meal this morning is an appeal to God to remember his covenant promises. And second, Note that not only did the sacrifice have to be made by killing the animal, but the blood then had to be applied or displayed. When the sacrifices were made in the tabernacle or the temple, the blood is then thrown on the altar. It's displayed. When the Passover lamb was sacrificed, the blood was displayed on each house. It was applied to those people. And this morning, as we come to take bread and wine, we are displaying the fact that the blood of Jesus has been applied to us. We take the action of eating the meal to display the fact that we believe, that we are actively trusting, not in the wine and bread, but in the blood of Jesus that it represents. The blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been shed for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we remember the story of the Passover, and we think about the fact that Israelites, many, many years later, said this is our story, we too can join in this morning and say this is our story. What Christ has done in his sacrifice of himself on our behalf is our story. And for those of us who have placed faith in you, who are trusting you and what you have done, your blood has been applied to our lives so that as God's judgment falls, it does not fall on us because our Passover lamb, Christ, has died in our place. As we celebrate that this morning together, may this appeal to you to remember your covenant promises be heard. And we know that it will be because you are good to your word. You do not change. And so we come this morning with confidence and assurance. And in that spirit, we want to worship you and to glorify you for what you have done for us in the person of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.